We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's move on to the mailbag, Mr. Roberts, and we have a couple super chats here that we'll get to first. Number one, we did have a super sticker from Paul Church. Paul, thank you very, very much. We appreciate that. And we have one from Kay Grant, my man Kay Grant with the super chat. Thank you, sir. As Coach Marcus Freeman enters year two, what's one to two observations you're looking for from him as a coach who has a year of experience under his belt? I think more involvement with the coordinators is one for me, Brian. Like I, I do think that there is some validity to – Marcus Freeman as a first-year head coach, let's trust what's around me and let's observe, right? Like that's kind of a common thing that I think happens for first-year head coaches. Year two, Kay Grant, I expect him to have more of an onus on, nope, we we did that last year. Nope, we're not doing that again, right? This is what needs to be done in these rooms. So I think just more involvement from a – not even a game planning, well, from a game planning perspective for sure, but just like how the rooms are run a little bit more, right? Like what the expectations is for coordinators. Like I think that's a major one for me, Brian, is that like you want him to be more involved with the everyday operation of both offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator and how they're formatting practices, how they're game planning things, and just bouncing ideas off of each other. Like I think that that is just having his identity in both sides of the ball, I think is something that could be impactful in, in year two. Yeah, I mean, it's it's to me, it's it's creating a greater sense of accountability at the coaching level is the yeah. one for me. And there's a right way and a wrong way to do that. The wrong way is just constantly being on them and just being like just in their face and just constantly negative and picking them apart and embarrassing them in front of players and all that. I don't want to see that. But it's up to Coach Freeman to say, hey, look, at the end of the day, you're 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 the you're the head coach. You're you are a former defensive coordinator. If the linebacker play doesn't improve. Where's the accountability? Like, right. where are you stepping in saying, hey, this is what we need to do? You've coached all these kids. You saw the regression they all showed last year at, at chunks of the season. I hope that he sees that. I, I do. I hope that he sees that the reg- the production took a dip last year and, and create some accountability, right? Hey, look, Coach Washington, we've got these guys that are really good. Where, where's, where are you holding them accountable for doing the job that they need to do? That's the biggest question mark for me for right now for Marcus Freeman is, is I know he's got the chops to be a head coach in a lot of areas. The one that I have the most questions for is this right here. Does he have the 
to be a great head coach, you need to be kind of a, a small party needs to be a bit of a, you've got to be willing to be a prick yeah. at times. And, and, and if, especially with people that you are friends with and have known for a long time, you got to be able to say, hey, look, man, you're my boy. And that's why I brought you here. Cause I believe in you. But right now you're making me look stupid. Sure. You're not doing a job. Like if you can't get these kids ready to go, man, I'm sorry. I'm gonna find somebody who can, because, and I'm being serious. This isn't an empty threat because you look at what you got in that room. It's not good enough. Right. And there needs to be that air of accountability. Cause yes, you need to be a coach's coach. Let those coaches coach, but it's, it's doing so within the framework of what you're demanding. And I'll say this talking to several people, whether it's, it's parents and uh, parents uh, of current players, uh, parents of former players, talking to former players uh, from last season, the reality is, is that there was not the same level of, of I've got your back as a coach in the front seven as they had the year before when it was Elson and Freeman. Right. There was not the same feeling of this coach cares about me. This coach has my back with Golden and Washington as you had with Freeman and Elston and Lee and Elston. That's the reality that whether you think that's right or not, that's what the players feel. And that's really the only opinion that matters in this instance. And that's what Marcus Freeman has said. He wants as a coach and he needs to start getting, he needs to start demanding that from his assistants. And a lot of them that he hired are that way. Mike Mickens is that way. I think Chris O'Leary is, is becoming that way. He's still a young coach. I mean, guy's not even 30 yet. You know what I mean? Uh, coach Stuckey, I believe, is that way. Coach Parker is that way. Uh, coach Heastand was that way. But there's not enough. Uh, I don't know about Coach McCullough. I, I don't know one way or the other. I haven't heard anything from there, so I, I, I'm leaving him out purposely because I, I, don't, I don't have an answer one way or the other. But the way his room produced last year, you kind of feel like he's doing something right, okay? Yeah. But – there's a, there's a lot of reasons why the defensive line and linebackers didn't produce last year the way they needed to. Yep. And it's not all coaching. Some of it's the players, older players weren't bought in as much, but you can only, that excuse only goes so far at some point in time. You got to say, well, why are we having this problem now when I didn't have this problem before? Right. And you've got to step up and say, I had your back in this situation this way, but now it's up to you to get it done. Yep. And I don't care if you don't like this kid or not go freaking coach them. And that's your job. Look, I can pr promise you, Ryan, I coach kids that I didn't like and they didn't like me. <laughs> but my job was to get them ready to go play at a high level on Saturday. And as long as they did that, I don't care if they liked me or not. I don't, right? You, you know how much I care about whether or not people like me or not, right? All right. Wasn't any different my players. Now, was it easier when the players liked and respected me? Sure. Was it easier when I liked and respected them? Sure. At the end of the day, that didn't matter. What mattered is what happens on Saturday. And, and right now, the production of those two positions is not good enough. And, and it's up to him to say, hey, something's got to change. Uh, and the other thing to me is I'm going to feel better if I start hearing more about him fighting more battles off the field with the administration. Sure. Because right now, I feel like – no, I, I, I'm not going to say it. I, I just he needs, to, he needs to fight harder because he's, he's never going to have more leverage – other than winning a championship, he'll never have more leverage than he has right now. The fans love him. The donors love him. The players still love and respect him. That's going to end eventually. And that's not the time to step up and say, I'm going to fight for what I want and need right now. And and uh, and and he needs to be willing to be vocal about it. Because like they're not going to fire him. You know what I mean? Because all heck would break loose. <laughs> and if you believe in something, then go fight for it. And, and, and that's a bit of a 
concern. That's just me kind of reading the tea leaves a little bit, Ryan, but just some things I'm hearing from, from some different people outside the program about things. It just has me a little bit concerned about that. So that's the other thing is the accountability and then you know, use the leverage you have. I don't know if he realizes that the leverage he has right now, but he has a lot of leverage right now. If he was one, if he's one to use it. And if they go out this year and have success on the field, like 10, 11 wins, then he'll have even more and he, he needs to use it now and, yep. and use it hard now. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Super chat from Charlie Weiss's last belt loop. He says, Coach, I have to ask, so if someone is clearly better, but Al Washington doesn't care for the guy, is he going to play the guys he cares for over the real talent? I, I, I can't answer that because yeah. last year, Aiden Kanana got hurt early in the spring. So when, by the time he came back, I mean, he was just, he was kind of buried. So I don't know if it's a situation where the kid should have played and he didn't play him. I, I don't have any evidence to answer that question. I think it's more about, is he willing to take a kid who maybe is raw but young and put in the work to build him up to where he can challenge other people. That's more of my right. question. And so, uh, you know, I, I think I, as soon as I said it, I was like, I know this is going to get, this is going to come back to bite me because someone's going to take that and run with it to s- direction that I didn't intend it to go. Uh, Aiden was not in a position to play last year a whole lot because he was hurt most of the year. Yeah. With other guys, it wasn't so much that it's, he, does he like a guy? I don't know what his feelings are at Alexander Ernstberger. I have no clue. We mentioned that about one guy, and now that one guy is being asked by someone about an overall bigger picture thing, and that's not what I'm talking about, sure. right? So it's his job to say, no matter what your feelings are for a player, you coach that kid to the best of your ability, and you know, and until that kid, until that kid's no longer on your roster, and that's just we'll, that's your job. We'll start to get more evidence of it this um, this spring, obviously, right? Like if right. you hear great things about some younger guys and working in more with the first team and doing all that type of stuff. Like we'll start getting more evidence if that's true or not. But I mean, ultimately who knows we don't have enough data points on coach Washington or most of the staff, to be honest, to know if that is true or that is not true. You know, like we know it with Mike Mickens, for instance, right? Like Mike Mickens 
got Benjamin Morrison ready to play early in the season, and then he gave him a legit shot as a true freshman. We know that one, right? But there's some other rooms where we have no idea what that case will be. So we'll see. Yep. Next question is from Ryan Bosgood. Can you take these uh, these questions now, Ryan? Yeah. So mailbag from Rob says, guys, what talks do you think Marcus Freeman is having with Al Golden about defense? I'm sure he is not happy with the direction, especially with the linebackers. Thank you for what y'all do. Best intel on the boards. Sadly, Ryan, I don't know that we can assume that. Yeah. I mean, what evidence do we have that he views it as a problem? I'm not saying that he, that I think he thinks it was great. I'm saying we have no evidence yeah. that he thinks it was bad, none, or that he thinks it was good. We don't know either way, because Coach Freeman is going to always say the right thing publicly, always. Yes, yes, and and he's always going to have his coaches' backs publicly, and he should. He's always going to have his players' backs publicly, and he should. I don't care what he says publicly. Uh, there's a time and a place to to hold people accountable in a public forum, but it's not often. And it's right. not as much with college kids as it is professionals. There, there comes a point in time, though, where it's what you do behind the scenes that matters. And we don't have evidence one way or the other about how he feels about the play of the linebackers. We don't. We don't have a clue what he thinks. And so we'll find out as we get through the spring and we see if anything's changed or not. If nothing's changed, then we're going to know that he doesn't think it was a problem. And the stuff he says about how good J.D. is and what Jack brings to the table and what Maris can do is all – that's actually how he feels. It's not just lip service and saying the right thing. It's how he actually feels. Because if nothing changes, then it tells me he's perfectly fine with it. It, it, It's it's so tough because, like, we're from an outside perspective, obviously, right? So, like, we don't have any bias, right? Like, for me, it's like whoever starts at will is who starts at will. Like, I don't have a personal relationship with the guys that are in this conversation, right? Coaches obviously do. In theory, Rob, you would expect Marcus Freeman being a former very good linebacker at Ohio State and NFL football player that got drafted by the Chicago Bears in the fifth round, you would expect that he understands that linebackers last year weren't great. You would expect Al Golden, who just coached in the Super Bowl two years ago and did a really good job as a linebacker coach for the Cincinnati Bengals, you would think that he would understand that. But sometimes when you're too close, you lose sight of that stuff sometimes. That happens, man. Right. So, and I don't have any personal relationships with any of these players, right? Like at the end of the day, whoever is the best player, in my opinion, should play. But sometimes it's not as easy as that. It should be, but sometimes it's not when you're too close. Hey, and look, Marcus Freeman is not going to call me and be like, hey, here's my opinion of the linebackers. I can assure right. you of that. I wish he would, but I promise you he's not. So I don't have a clue what he thinks about the play of the linebackers. So uh, no idea. I, we'll find out this spring. That's That's what we'll see. We'll find out this spring. Got one from uh, ND Estimate Trucking LLC. I love it, man. I hope that I hope that at some point Audric Estimate is in a Heisman campaign because yes. this is uh, something to work off right here. Yes. Mailbag question from Estimate Trucking LLC. In Al Golden's version of the defense, are the defense tackles penetrating on rundowns or occupying blockers for the linebacker unit primarily? I mean, occupying. so yeah, they're occupying, which is why it's a really frustrating thing because when you look at the defensive tackles Notre Dame has, especially the starters and Howard Cross, Riley Mills, it tells you attack style penetration. It was, it was true last year too, Ryan, with Jason Adamiola and Jacob Lacey early. They were all penetrators. None of them are eat space guys. They're all 285 or less pounds, all three of those guys, right? And in that instance, you would expect, I'm going to create chaos, right? Like you don't want Jason Adamiola anchoring against, anchoring against double teams in, uh, all the time. That's not 
what doesn't play into his strengths. His strengths are you're a one gap penetrator, get in the backfield, create chaos, let linebackers pick up where you kind of, where you you know kind of weren't able to clean up. That's kind of what you want to be in that defense. But last year we've talked about it. You wanted guys to I mean, you were having Howard Cross, you know, play two blockers a ton, you know, two gap a ton, anchor against double teams at 265, 270 pounds. Like, it's just not advantageous for the best version of Howard Cross. So, should be an attack style defense based upon what you have right now, but that's not what we have seen so far. So, hopefully, we see a little bit different in 2023, but who knows at this point. Yep. Got another one from Indy Estimate Trucking. IB with all Notre Dame has on the defensive line moving forward, who can potentially be the most likely to reach 10 plus sacks in the next two to four years, in your opinion? Take the two Vipers we talked about most today, and that's your yeah. pick. That's your two guys. It's Patelho and Burnham. That's that, it. that would be, that would definitely be my answer in 2023, especially if someone said, like, who's the 10 sack guy? Jordan Batello would be my honest would be sure. my answer. That's most likely, sure. right? I mean, the only one I'm saying right now. I mean, yeah. I don't think anybody else has 10 plus sack. And, and I don't really care about 10 plus sack potential. I really don't. Yeah. I, it, to me, it's about total team sacks and, and, and consistent pressures. And, and I've said this before. I think sacks are a very overrated statistic, if not provided in the proper context. And, and uh, you know, you could have four sacks in a game and you weren't really super disruptive as a pass rushing unit. You had like a sack right. at the end of the first half, a sack when the game was out of hand and you knew they were passing and then two third and 11 sacks that killed drives. It's about consistency from a pass rushing standpoint. I want to see a team that can consistently get after the quarterback. And to me, that that matters a lot more than total sacks. I mean, look, who, do you know who led the, the nation in sacks last year, Ryan? I, I do, yes. It was no, – As a team. As a team. As a team. Sorry, as a team. As team. Yeah. I do not know who led as a team. No. Louisville. It was Louisville. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. The top three teams in the nation last year in sacks – were Power Five, Louisville, Pitt, and Clemson. Pitt, Pitt you know makes how, sense. Yeah. Yes. Do you know how many? How many? Uh, Ten plus? How many doubled? And uh, I, actually, I'll give it to you this way, Ryan, because this is, proves yeah. my point even better. If you look at the top four Power Five teams in the nation last year in sacks, I don't know. Let's go. Let's go even deeper. Let's go top five. Okay. Top five Power Five teams in sacks last year: Louisville, Pitt, Clemson. Penn State, Arkansas. Do you know how many of those teams, how many How many players out of that group, shoot, I'm going to number six to Utah. I'm, I'm doing more research. <laughs> how many of those teams had a guy, or how many players on those teams total had 10 or more sacks on those top six power five teams in the country in team sacks? How many 10-plus sack players were on those teams combined? I think you see Abdullah from Louisville had nine and a half. I think Drew Sanders had nine and a half. So I'm going to say zero. Yeah. Yeah. Zero. Yeah. Not a single guy. Now Louisville was number one. They had, um, they had, as you said, as you said, the kid from Louisville had nine and a half. Yaya Diaby had nine and had nine. Montgomery, Monty Montgomery had six. Ashton Gillette had six. Momo Sanogo had four and a half. Desmond, you see the point, right? Yeah. Spread around. Pitt was number two. Servosia Dennis had seven, and Kalijah Cansey had seven. Deslin Alexander had five and a half. But yeah. again, forty-eight team sacks spread around. Clemson's had was number three at forty-four. Their highest sack guys were Miles Murphy and Jeremiah Trotter at six and a half, were the highest that they had. 
Number four was Penn State. Their leading guy in sacks last year was a linebacker with six and a half. Abdul number Carter. five, that, yes, Abdul yeah. Carter. Uh, Arkansas at, at number five, uh, they had Drew Sanders at nine and a half. Jordan Dominic had seven and a half. And then after that, four and a half or fewer for a team that had 42 sacks. And then Utah last year had 41 sacks as a team. Their leader in sacks had five and a half sacks. That's wild. So again, now Notre Dame had a guy with more sacks than all of them. Yep. Notre Dame was actually not that bad. They were see third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. They were ninth in the country last year amongst power five teams in sacks, uh, tied with Alabama uh, and tied. Yes, tied with Alabama. And Notre Dame had a guy, their guy had more sacks than any of them. Right. Wild. I mean, Isaiah Foskey had more sacks than any of them. Isaiah Foskey and Will Anderson. If you look at the top eight, seven or eight teams and uh, team sacks, USC had a guy, Alabama had a guy and, and Notre Dame had a guy. Top six teams in sacks did not have a guy. Well, Seven, eight, nine I, did. But yeah. The top, top six did not. I think Tule Tupelotu from USC, he was the leading sacker in the country, right? If I remember correctly, like 13 or something. He was close. Yeah, he he was up there. Let me see, Ryan. He did finish with 13 and a half. Ryan, there was only, only, see, 10, 11, 12, 13. There's only 14 guys in all of college football last year that had 10 plus sacks. Yep. That's it. Point being, you don't have to have a guy that 10 plus sacks to have a great pass rush. You don't. You can have a guy with ten plus sacks and not have a great pass rush. Usually, it's you know? better when it's spread around. To be honest, like usually, if you have one guy po- like populating it, that means that other guys aren't finishing. You know what I mean? Like that's right. kind of where it is. Right. I mean, in the I mean, look, last year Eastern Michigan ranked eighty third in the country in team sacks, but Jose Ramirez was second in the nation in individual sack. That was not a good pass rushing team, but they had an individual who got yeah. a lot of sacks. Right. Yep. And so the, the point is, is that you don't necessarily uh, the number three sacker in the country was a kid from Fresno State and Fresno State last year ranked 47th in the nation. I, he was tied I, I lo- with a kid from Central Michigan who ranked 35th. I, I love I, I love that kid from Fresno State's name. David Perilous. Great yes. name. Great name. Point is, just because you have a guy with 10 plus sacks doesn't mean your defense is good at rushing the passer. If anything, I'd like to see it spread around even more. To be honest with you, and well, and it, it even says the, it even says the NFL. Brian ask the San Francisco 49ers about their pass rush right now. It's Nick Bosa and nothing, man. Right. <laughs> like he had like seventeen sacks, and the next closest guy was right. like five. You know what I mean? Like they just right. don't have those guys. So and so now it's nice to have that guy and have a bunch of sacks, like Oklahoma State had the year before with Colin Oliver had a ten plus sacks, but then the rest of the team had a lot of sacks. Uh, you know, that's obviously an ideal situation because you'd like to have that one guy that can take a game over in the four. That's what's what made Isaiah Foskey so good in 2021 and at times this year. But Isaiah had clutch sacks in 2021, yeah, clutch pressures, and it's the consistency that matters to me. But if you're if you're to your question, if you're going to talk about a guy that can have 10 plus sacks, it's the top two Vipers or the top two talented guys of Viper. I don't know if Junior's a 10 plus sack guy, he's in that conversation as well. I don't know if any of the big ends are 10 plus sack guys. I don't, none of the defense. I mean, it's so, it's so hard to be a defensive tackle and get sacks like 10 plus sacks in college football right now. It's just, you're just not going to see it a whole lot. I, I mean, I'm looking at it now. I mean, 
uh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to see if any of these kids that, that were 10 plus sack guys last year were big guys. I mean, Thomas Incombe was 265. He's a yeah. Yeah. Jonah, uh, Jonah Tavai from uh, Santa State was an interior guy. He's right? an interior guy. Yeah. 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 He was at 10 and a half. But again, that's at San Diego State. You know, like you don't see really any power five guys that are really racking up a mess of sacks. Dylan Horton, uh, yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a, I mean, he's a three. Man. He's yeah. a three three end, so he's kind of an interior ish kind of guy, but not really. Yeah. He's not like a three technique, you know. So you just don't see that a whole lot, Ryan. You just don't see a lot of yeah. interior guys racking up a mess of sacks. You want to see as a group. You want to see a lot of production there. That's really the key. I, I mean, really see, me. think about some of the top defensive linemen that have come out of the draft the last couple of years. Like Jalen Carter wasn't a big sack guy. He's a penetration right. guy, though. Like he right. creates havoc. That's really what you want. Brian Brissy wasn't a big sack guy at Clemson, like, but they have an impact that goes beyond raw stat, sack numbers. I mean, Brian, do you remember Ezekiel Ansa that came out of BYU? They played with the Lions. He was the master of racking up sacks in like one or two games a year and then doing nothing the rest yeah. of the year. It's also like that doesn't matter. He's not consistently affecting the game on a week to week basis. It doesn't matter, man. Yeah, those just don't mean a whole lot. It's it's the consistency of pressures. Well, it's like this year, Ryan and I have said Isaiah Foskey just wasn't as impactful as he was last year. And you're like, wait a minute, he had more tackles for loss and he had more sacks than he did. I'm like, yeah, I know, I get that. But he just wasn't as good of a player, in my yeah. opinion. I mean, it's just like you can you can talk to me all you want about the sacks, but the sacks are only going to take you so far. You right. know, I mean, and and – I mean, you see it too. Is like just because you're you're athletic doesn't mean you're going to be a great player either. I mean, Jason Oway had zero sacks last year at Penn State. It still blows my mind, you it's know. Wild, and man. and so give me a guy that's consistently disruptive, and that's going to be the key for me. Daniel Hunter is turned into one of the best pass rushers in the NFL when he's healthy too. He had like three and a half sacks in his career at LSU. Yeah. It's just like what, man? What? Yeah, it's <laughs> wild, man. It's you see stuff like that happen, and you're just like, "What in the heck? Yeah. What, like, where did that come from?" Seriously, uh, yeah. I mean, his his last year at uh, now. Here's the thing: he was disruptive, though. Yeah, I mean, his last year at LSU had 13 tackles for loss. Yep. Only had one and a half sacks. <laughs> you know, the year before that, he had three sacks and, and eight tackles for loss. And and you know, I mean, so again, and he left early. But like, I would rather a guy have 13 tackles for loss in one sack. Then six sacks and six tackles for loss, meaning right. he made no no run game pr- production. We, we we've seen way too much of that at Notre Dame over oh, yeah. the last few years too. Well, that's how Adi Tagumbo Gandiji was. He had seven sacks and seven tackles for loss. Like I just yeah, and he was he was more disruptive because he he made he did a lot of things where he would f- f- like funnel like force stuff outside and Jeremiah Wusu Koromo would clean it up for tackle for loss. Right, sure. So, but you still want to see like Khalid Kareem. Never had what more than four and a half, five sacks in their name, but he had ten plus tackles for losses last two years. That's what I want to see. I want to see more yeah. of that. I want to see more of the if if all that I get this year from Javante Jean Baptiste is three sacks, it gives me nine tackles for loss. Give me that over six tackles, six sacks, and six tackles for loss, or seven tackles for loss of the combined numbers. I still wish they would do it both. I wish they would separate the numbers. I I yes. hate when they combine them together. So, you know, like eight tackles for loss and three sacks should be eight tackles for loss and three sacks, not 11 tackles for loss and three sacks. That's just my little pet peeve, but it is what it is. David Jones. Here we got another one, Ryan. 
His question is, with all the talk about how much Al Golden needs to stop calling the D to show how smart he is and scheme to what best utilizes the talent they have, do you feel Marcus Freeman and Al Golden have had that conversation? Hmm. Maybe. I mean, who, who Again, knows? We no we'll never know. Right. <laughs> we'll never know. <laughs> well, I think we'll know if if we see something different this spring and in the fall. I mean, that's when we'll know. Because I don't think Al Golden, I don't know if Al Golden's necessarily going to do it all by himself, but, you know, I'm sure he's going to have some level of self-evaluation, but the head coach has to step up. You know, I mean, that's that's just where it, 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 it I hope it happened, but I have no evidence one way or the other on it, Ryan, to be honest with you. We on from Rob Thidoff. This question is, Brian and Ryan. What is one thing you do not want to hear during spring practice and one thing you do want to hear during spring practice? I mean, what I don't want to hear, Brian, is I don't want to hear that guys aren't getting a legitimate shot and an opportunity, right? Like some of the guys we've talked about, some of the younger guys, for instance, like what you don't hear is worse than sometimes than what you do hear, right? It's like if I don't hear Joshua Burnham's name throughout the spring, it's not good, man. If I don't hear his name at all, that's just not a good sign. If I don't hear Aiden Gabira's name, if I don't hear Nolan Ziegler's name, that's a bad sign. So I think usually the intel that you do get is more of who aren't you hearing about? But you know, yeah. on a on a positive level, obviously, is like, why am I not hearing that name more? Because yeah. either that is the guys didn't progress or they're not given a fair shake. Yeah. And either so way, it's troubling. Good. Yeah. Yeah. What I want to hear is a lot about younger players. To your point, that means guys are pushing, guys are being given a chance to push. What I don't want to hear is that the offense is just dominating the defense in the run game all spring. That's that's a big concern. I want to see back and forth battles. I really yes. do. Because I don't think this line right now is the 2017 line where you know they would just dominate the defense in just about every practice we saw. And you start thinking, Miss T line's gonna suck. And then you talk to Mike Elko and he's like, No, we're actually yeah. doing all right. It's just <laughs> These guys are freaking ridiculous. You know, like he would always say, like, no, we're we're gonna be all right. You know, we're gonna be all right. And he, I just don't he he knew what we didn't know yet of how dominant that line was gonna be. He he saw it every day in practice, and it was huge. It was a huge offensive line, too. Like Tommy Kramer on the 2015, 2017 yeah. line was the fourth biggest starting offensive lineman. Fourth. Tommy Kramer. So, because Bars was over 320, Q was over 340, McGlinchey was around 320. I mean, it was a massive offensive line, massive offensive line. And I think this one will be as well. But I don't want to hear it every day because I don't think the line is there yet to be that kind yeah. of group, in my opinion. So that's definitely what I don't want to hear. Yeah, this this line is going to be – it's going to be massive to your point, though, man. It's yeah. going to be a big group, very yep. big group. Got yep. one from timeout. Timeout time. Question from time. Yep, and his question is, what can we see differently with Max Bulla as the GA linebacker coach? How much influence will he have on who plays? Well, I don't, I don't think he has any influence on who plays. That's the defensive coordinators going to make that call. But uh, here's the one advantage that Max Bulla brings to the table. He's actually coached football before, and that's no disrespect to James Laronitis. I'm sure the longer he stays in it, he's going to be a very good football coach. I have no doubt in my mind. But he was kind of thrown into the fire, and and from what I'm told, Al Washington treated him as the linebackers coach, and then he just kind of wandered. He thought he was a you know it, that's wrong. That's on Al. That's Al Golden's fault. That guy's never coached football before. Yeah. You needed to be more involved. 
in, in that. You're asking that guy to take that front linebacker room and treat it as if he's been a football coach for 10 years. And that's on him. At least Max Bull has been a football coach for three years. You know what I mean? At Alabama. So there's a little bit of an advantage. But at the end of the day, Al Golden knows too much football and knows too much about coaching linebackers to not be more involved. I'm sorry. He just does. I'm not going to blame a GA for why the linebacker plays him better when Al Golden needs to have a bigger role in that. As simple as that. Simple as that. His your, Al Golden's name is on is on the table, man. At the point, right? Like how the linebackers play is a direct result of what he did or didn't do as a coach, right? right. Like that's all. That's that's the person that gets blamed. I'm not blaming Max Bullitt for them not developing properly, GA, right? And yeah. I don't mean that disrespectfully, but like, dude's not making the money you are. Dude's right. been barely out of out of playing in the NFL. You're the fifty something year old, been coaching for thirty years, defense high paid defensive coordinator who is also should be the linebacker, should be more involved. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't allow that guy to have a role. Clark Lee allowed Nick Lazinski to have a big role in coaching the linebackers, but he was still there every day coaching the linebackers as well. Totally fine with that. Mike Elko had an assistant who he allowed to, to, to take the safeties and work with the safeties at different times, but he was still there as the co- coaching the safeties. That's what it needs to be. He's a, massive, Freeman, he's a yeah. massive resource. That's what right. he is. Like He's a massive resource. Utilize right. him correctly is the big thing. Right. And so, uh, yeah. Like when the linebackers had a bad game under Clark Lee, I wasn't blaming Nick Lazinski. Sure. Clark Lee's the linebackers coach. Same thing here, in my opinion. All right, Ryan. I'm going to read this one because I'm going to ask you uh, your opinion on this because you follow the NFL closer than I do. But Archer452 says, Aaron Rodgers has confirmed that he plans to play for the Jets next year. Does he make New York a contender in a stacked AFC? He makes them a contender in the AFC East because, Brian, I mean, they Jets played pretty solid football last year with a dumpster fire quarterback, man. They had Mike White and Zach Wilson playing quarterback for them last year, and it was bad. Aaron Rodgers is definitely on the downtrots. He's on the downside of his career, but he is better than what they had at quarterback in 2022. Like, there's no doubt about that. So, yeah, I think that they compete for the AFC East. The Dolphins have a, a good roster in theory coming back, but two has been injured, obviously, a lot throughout the, the, his career. I don't think anybody's going to overtake the Bills with Josh Allen, obviously, but to be in the conversation going into no, late November and into December and maybe getting a wild card spot, I think that that's a big potential for the New York Jets. So I, I think that they have that opportunity. They have the potential. I think they could be the second best team in the AFC East with Aaron Rodgers as a quarterback. That's interesting. They went yeah. seven and ten last year, right? Yep. And had uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five games decided by eight points or less. So one score or less. It's not too bad. And they were all a lot of their losses were like low scoring games, 27, 22, stuff like that. And, and they were off to a good start to the year. And then they just faded down the stretch because their quarterback play just got so bad, man. Like it was just awful down the stretch. They're five and I'm looking at this. They were five and two, six and three yeah. at one point. Yeah, yeah. man. They weren't play, they were playing good football. And then Zach Zach Wilson <laughs> beat, just like beat man. the Packers 27 to 10. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. In a game in which Zach Wilson Went 10 of 18 for 110 yards. Brees Hall, your boy Brees Hall had 116 yards in that game. Yeah, man. Brees Hall's a good football player, man. Yes, Too bad he got injured last year, but yeah. he's a good football yes, player. He is. is he going to be back this year? How bad was the injury? I remember. I think it was an ACL, so he should be back. He should be back, yeah. We got one from Josh Buffo, the motivational business banker. With the safety depth pieces, 
Have Notre Dame increased recruiting on Peyton Woodyard? Is there a chance? Thank you guys for best Notre Dame content in the business. Thank you for that, sir. Appreciate I mean, they're still trying, but I, I, it's going to be hard to flip him from Georgia. I, mean, I, they're, I they're, just, they're, they're trying. Yeah. It's just, I don't, I don't look with everything they had working in their advantage. They still couldn't get him before. I just, the only way I see him flipping is if Georgia just starts loading up at safety and they're like, yeah, Peyton's not as good as the other guys we have. And so, right. we'll, you know, we'll move on from him. I just don't, I don't see that happening to me. Yeah. The, the one thing I love about Peyton, I actually talked about, talked to him the other day. Great kid, man. Really. Peyton Woodyard is a great young man. Very like, no, sir. Yes, sir. Very respectful. Met him down at the all American bowl in San Antonio when he committed to Georgia. I'll say this, uh, Josh, I think that for me, I don't think Peyton made a rush decision. I think he thought about it a lot. I know he has a great support system with his family. I, I think that he's going to be a hard kid to flip by anybody, to be honest. Like I, I think that he's very strong on his commitment to Georgia. Agree. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Agree. I'm going to read this next one, Ryan, because this is more for you. It's an NFL question uh, from also from Josh Buffo, the motivational business maker. Uh, who is Josh Burnham's comp from the NFL past or present? First thing that popped in my head, and it was a weird one. I wasn't expecting this one, Brian, but Connor Barwin. Do you remember Connor okay. Barwin? Yeah, there he's were, working in the Eagles front office now, right? Yeah, I believe so. And Barwin was a really good pass rusher, but then the best year that he actually had on the Philadelphia Eagles was on, was when he only had like five or six sacks because he did a little bit of everything, which I think Joshua Burnham could bring to the game. He dropped in the coverage a ton that year, set the edge. He was playing some Sam linebacker that one year for the Philadelphia Eagles. And I think body type-wise, they're similar-ish. If I remember correctly, Connor Barwin's like 6'4", 260, yeah. somewhere in that ballpark. 6'4", 256 with 33 and three-quarter inch arms at the combine. Yeah. So I think all-around profile can do a little bit of everything, can be an impactful pass rusher when that's the role he's in. Yeah. But the great thing about Joshua Burnham, in my opinion, is that he can assume a few different roles, right? He can provide some upside in a lot of different areas. And that's what Connor Barwin brought to the game. Yeah. Very underrated football player. Very underrated athlete too, Ryan. I mean, he, he forty wasn't great, four six six flat, but he had a ten eight broad, forty and a half inch vertical, six eight seven three cone, four one eight shuttle. It's not bad, man. Like it's that's not bad. nuts for a two hundred and sixty pound guy. That's really really good. Got, yeah. Guys, what does Twitchy mean? That's that right that's there. That's right that's there. Twitch, and, and that's why I like that. I I think that's it, the thought never crossed my mind yeah. about Connor Barwin, but as soon as you say it, the light goes off. You're like, yes. Yes, that is a very good one. That is a very good one. I like I like that one a, a, a lot, Ryan. And you know, and it, again, I don't know about the NFL. I didn't pay attention to him as much in the NFL, but Connor Barwin was a really good college defensive end for two years at Cincinnati. He, he was a really good NFL player yeah. too yeah. for a couple different he teams. He played on the basketball team at Cincinnati. He's a freak, like, man. 
Yeah. Like the, Cincinnati yeah. had a few of those guys, Brian. They had yeah. him. They had a young Jason Kelsey, who was like a former tight end yeah. defensive lineman or whatever. Travis Kelsey was like a yeah. kind of a raw kid. Like they've had some yeah. of those twitchy pass, uh, yeah. pass rushers and talents. Yeah. Brian, he- Brian Kelly inherited a couple dudes because he was there before <laughs> Brian Kelly got there. But his last year, here's this crazy Connor Barwin went from doing nothing in college. His first three years of college, he had a total of 13 tackles, zero That's tackles wild. for loss, zero sacks. And then his last year, he breaks out and has 14 and a half tackles for loss and 11 sacks. And he, and he put up the numbers uh, that we talked about. So, yeah, he uh, he's a, he was a freaky athlete, very sure freaky was. athlete in my opinion. So, yeah, I like that one. And he did a lot of a lot of the dirty work, too, which I think Burnham can do a lot of that, too. You know, like the physical tough stuff that people underrate a little bit, but is important. Yep. yep. All right, we got one from Sh- – I, I just need to say this one, Ryan. I love this name. Okay. You can read the question. But uh, Shamrocks and Shenanigans, I love that name. We have some very a- creative names here. I love it. Sounds like that could be a TV show, man. I like that a lot. Yeah. Question is from Shamrocks and Shenanigans. I had to say it too just for some fun. What's the significance, if any, of George's self-reported violations in subsequent subsequent rumored investigation into the program on the part of the NCAA? I don't know a lot about it, to be honest with you. I haven't heard anything about any of that. So I'm looking at ESPN right now, and I don't see anything about Georgia in that regard. So um, it's always an interesting conversation when things are self reported as well. I I mean, there's literally nothing on ESPN about them self reporting anything. Uh So I don't know the specifics of what that would be. But knowing the NCAA, it's an SEC school, they're going to do a dang thing. And I don't even know what they did, if they even deserved to have anything done. So I'm not even commenting on that. But even if it was something severe, I don't I don't see the NCAA doing anything. They're cowards. Sure. And they're definitely not going to do it to a team like Georgia. No, no. Now, look, here's what's going to happen. If Georgia gets found guilty of something, they're going to put Georgia State on probation for something. That's what will happen. They'll find something at Georgia State or Georgia Southern and be like, yeah, we, yeah, we can't have this, you know. It's you wild, gave a kid man. a couple extra lunches. We can't have that. We got to put you on probation. You know, because we got to show that we're tough. We're going to hammer the teams that nobody cares about. Right. Hey, NIL violations out the yin yang. Let's hammer the, let's hammer Miami women's basketball. Let's go after them. Okay. Good call. Good job, guys. Good job. Good job. All right. Here we go, Ryan. From Bailey Brad, once spring practice starts, what would you, what, what would you, what would make you more optimistic hearing the offense is dominating or hearing that the defense is? That the offense is. Yeah. Because yeah. I think the defense is going to be pretty good. I, I mean, I, look, again, what did we say yesterday? Our issue on defense is not are they going to suck or not, because they didn't suck last year. They were a good defense last year. They were a good top 35 caliber defense last year. That's good. Yep. Right? There's a lot of teams that would love to have a defense like Notre Dame's. It's Is it good enough to win a championship? But right. the defense, based on last year's performance, is much closer than the offense is right now. I mean, much closer. So if we're hearing that like the receivers are out there making plays and then the, that's and the, the key, yeah, that's, that's the huge. That's I'll even huge. break, I'll even break it down a little bit more. Cause you just hit on it, Brian. I want to hear that the wide receivers are balling yeah. out in the spring. Cause that's one position yeah. for Notre Dame's defense that, you know, is going to be pretty good as long as everyone's healthy, right? Like those corners are, are guys, man, even with Cam Hart, not playing you. So you're still going to have Benjamin Morrison, Jane Mickey, and the rest of the crew at cornerback, Christian Gray and Brian Barnes. Chance Tucker, like if the wide receivers are balling out in the spring, that's a very good sign for the offense. Like an incredibly good sign. 
It's it, it. I hope that we see a lot of what we saw in the spring leading up to the 2018 season, the last time Notre Dame had arguably the best cornerback tandem in college football. And I say arguably because the Clemson tandem was really good that year as well with uh, yeah. Trayvon Mullen and uh, AJ, AJ uh, Terrell. Terrell, yeah. Yeah. But all spring, they just got abused all spring by Chase Claypool and Miles Boykin. They just got abused. I mean, like the quarterbacks were just Ian Book. If Ian Book threw back shoulders in games like he didn't cause like he didn't practice, he'd have been such a better player. Such <laughs> a better player. He just throw it up to him all, all practice, and there's just nothing Troy Pride and Jolene Love could do about it. Nothing. Because you got these six four guys with super long arms, you just couldn't defend. And so uh, that would make me very happy. If I'm hearing that Dion and those guys are going off, that would make me very, very happy. Very, very happy. Uh, last few, we get through some of these here real quick, Ryan. I'm going to ask you this one here yep. uh, from Irish Gordian Knot. When Clarence Lewis enters the draft, will being a little positionless help or hurt his draft stock? It will, I don't think it will actually hurt, to be honest. Because like when we're talking about Clarence Lewis, the positionless stuff, in my opinion, from my experience, is when we're talking about a high caliber football player. Like that was a little unsettling about like Isaiah Simmons, for instance, right? He was a kid that you're like on the NFL level. The overhang position doesn't matter as much because they take that guy out of the game. Like, can he play stats? Can he play a a weak inside linebacker? And it was something that he didn't really do at Clemson. But when you're a fringe draftable potentially guy or a guy on the back end of the roster, the more you can do is so valuable. So the fact that Clarence has played corner, maybe could play safety, has played inside at nickel, that will actually feed into his upside and his ability to stick on a roster. For the guys that are going to be late drafted, priority free agent types, that's where you need to excel. The more you can do, the more opportunity you have to stick. Absolutely. Got a few more here, Ryan, that we'll wrap up through here. Uh, Here's one from Irish Gordian Knot. What kind of stats does Sam Hartman have to put up in week one to make you rank Notre Dame in the top four after week one? 900 yards and 11 (laughs) touchdowns. And they win 112. I mean, honestly, Notre Dame has no business being in the top four until after the Ohio State game. Done. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm beating NC State on the road gets you in the top seven or eight, no doubt. Yeah. But a, a team that went nine and four last year, I don't care who they got coming back, you got to prove it on the field. You went yeah. nine and four, you lost to Marshall and Stanford. Until you beat Ohio State, you don't belong in the top four. You don't. And then after you beat Ohio State, you don't belong in that conversation until after you play USC and Clemson. You got to beat both of them and be 11 and one to be in that conversation. So, uh, now, if they come out and win the first game 100 to nothing, I'm being hyperbolic, and the next game 75 to nothing. You know, okay, sure, we can have that conversation, but there's nothing Sam Hartman can do in the opener or this team can do for me to say this team belongs in the top four. Nothing. It, it's all about you got to prove it on the field, and there's teams that have just consistent. Now, look, I know every, every year's different, but there's you got to start somewhere, and at the beginning of the year, I'm going to give more benefit of the doubt to the teams that have proven it on a consistent basis. And teams that beat Ohio, beat Notre Dame last year. I'm sorry, I'm yeah. just going to. So, sometimes we lose our minds over the first game of the season too, when you yeah. don't know how good the team you're playing is. Right? right? Like maybe Navy is the best Navy team that we've seen the last couple of years, or maybe right. they absolutely suck. Like we have no idea right. the first game of the season. You have no. And idea. It's also true if Notre Dame doesn't play well in the opener. It's the same thing. Yes. Oh, they don't blow on the top 25. Just don't overreact to the first game. Just yeah. get the W, play well, and move on to the next one and get better. Uh, th- that's what I want to see. Uh, here's one from USMA 87 question is how possible is it for Notre Dame's offense to score a minimum of 30 points in every game, not average at least 30 points per game, but have at least 30 points in every game. 
zero. I don't know if there's any possibility of that. That would be tough. I, I really. I mean, look. Here's the deal. The 2019 LSU team that was just unworldly good on offense did not do that. They scored 23 points against Auburn. I mean, even they they didn't do it. I'm very curious. The Oklahoma team in 2008, I don't. I think also uh, was was that way. Ryan, let me let me go look at them. I don't think they scored. You're, you're, you're going to have an off game eventually. You're yeah. going to have an off. Game. Um, that team actually, yeah, that team scored every regular season game. They were in the 30s, 40s, or more. But then they get in the championship game. They scored 14 the right. championship game. So I, that's going to be really hard to do, man. Really hard to do. I mean, I'm sure there's been some team that's done it recently. I'm sure, but I, I don't think that's where Notre Dame is. I mean, I mean, if they do though, that'd be that'd be great. I mean, that'd be oh, really if great. if they do that, then they're scoring high 30s, maybe yeah. close. I think to Bama might have done it in 20. <laughs> Let me look real quick. Bama might have done it in 20. Uh, yeah, Bama did it in 20. The funny thing is, their lowest scoring output output of the season was 31 against Notre Dame. That's wild. And then man. their next lowest was 38 against Missouri. And that's a team that averaged 48 and a half points per game. So it, it's, it's for Notre Dame, it's rare. It's, it's yeah. rare. I, I, I'm not worried about that to me. Now, if they do it, this is going to be a playoff team. Oh, yeah. No, if they score at least 30 points in every game, this team will go undefeated and be a playoff team. They, they'll no probably point. win a championship if they do yep. that. Like it's probably to that yep. point. Last two questions, Ryan. Here's one yep. from Josh Buffo, the motivational business banker. His question is, what two Notre Dame defensive players could you plug into a 2023 projected defense that would make them a top five defense and why those players? Former Notre okay. Dame players, I guess, are working from, right? Um, um, I mean, Jalen Smith Harrison is a no-brainer for me. In my I, head. I'd say Jalen Smith and Stephon Tewitt is where I'm going to go. And here's why. Give me Stephon Tewitt at big end and Jalen Smith at will with the current team. This is an elite defense. I mean, an elite defense. Yeah. Uh, that's just, I mean, that's an easy one for me. Two names that popped into my head were Harrison Smith at safety. Rover. And, uh, yeah, maybe Rover in the system. <laughs> that's true. You're not You're not wrong there. Harrison Smith somewhere in the back end or maybe at Rover. Or Justin Tuck was another name that popped in my head. You know, maybe just some more pass rush. I mean, honestly, Justin Tuck could probably be a big end in this system as well. Like he had kind of that size profile. So somewhere up front and then the back end. Linebacker, again, it would just come down to like, are they going to be used properly? Like, are you going to use Jalen Smith properly? That's my biggest question, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. The thing for me, Ryan, is is the only reason I don't go with Harrison is he's phenomenal because – I just don't think you need an elite player like him at safety to have an elite defense. You need elite front seven guys. And if you have Jalen yeah. Smith on one at, on at linebacker with J.D. Bertrand, I mean, that'd be the best Mike Jalen ever played with in college by a mile. Oh, yeah. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? And then you'd have Batelho and Burnham at, at the opposite end. You'd have Riley Mills inside with Stephon Tuitt at big end. Are you kidding me? Yeah, that'd be one heck of a defense. And then last one here from uh, Salty Virginia Peanuts. Let's get to the last one here, Ryan. Salty's question is, will Clemson's apparent intent to switch to a Tennessee-style air raid and tempo be more of a problem for them or Notre Dame by the time they play? It's a great question. Uh, This year, it won't be a problem for them or Notre Dame, in my opinion. I just don't know if they have the receivers to look like Tennessee did last year. Right. Right? Like, it's not really a Tennessee-style air raid. It's going to look a lot like what – they did it at, at Louise at um, 
uh, SMU and TCU the last few years, right? It's, it's, yeah. you know, it, it's going to look like what his brother does. It won't necessarily look like Tennessee as much. It, I think they're going to run the, run the ball a little bit more than, than Tennessee does in my opinion. Yeah. So I think it'll be a little bit more balanced, but I just, they don't have the receivers right now that scare the mess out of me. Like Cedric Tillman and Jalen Hyatt did as a tandem. And that's true. And, and as much as I like Cade Klubnick, he's not going to be Hendon Hooker right yet. Right, six, I'd be more six concerned. Year yeah. Hooker. Right, yeah. get, get me to twenty twenty four and get Cade Klubnick a year under his belt. Then Clemson could be really scary on offense if Garrett Riley's as good as we think he's going to be. Uh, but they, they they've got they've got to get a little bit better at the skill positions on the perimeter, Ryan, or before I'm ready to kind of go to that length with that defense. I That's and good. again, Notre Dame played against teams like that last year and held their own. I mean. Teams that just throw the football didn't rip Notre Dame up. The only team that, that had success as a was a, that way was USC. USC is really the only good team that had success against Notre Dame offensively last year, and that was because they were balanced. Their run game and Caleb Williams scrambling all around is what hurt Notre Dame. The pass game didn't hurt Notre Dame. And they did that without Cam Hart and Tariq Bracey. So Notre Dame's pass defense last year was a lot better than people give it credit for. A lot better. And the safeties played a lot better than people give them credit for. It's just you know, I just want to see the younger guys playing a little bit like Ramon and Xavier playing a little bit more. So anyway, that's going to be the last question for today. Everybody. Great, great questions and comments. Very, very good stuff. Uh, that Ryan, that was a, 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 a fun show, obviously uh, really good stuff here today. We're going to be back. I oh, actually tonight, Vince and Sean will have the midweek uh, mailbag at, uh, at Irish breakdown on the IB nation sports talk show. And they will they will be able to uh, answer more of your questions. So they'll have that tonight. Ryan and I'll be back tomorrow uh, at at one o'clock for more Irish breakdown stuff. And of course, before you leave, folks, we would love it if you'd sign up for the message boards at boards at irishbreakdown.com. We'd really appreciate that. Come join our family over there, help support Irish breakdown, uh, and uh, and uh, we would we would love to we'd love to have you with us um, and uh, and really enjoy just sort of that season or just enjoy what kind of what we're doing over there. It'll be a lot of fun, and yeah, a lot of good intel, a lot of good talk. Uh, if you sign up, and that's boards at irishbreakdown.com, you can sign up for a monthly membership. You can sign up for an annual membership. You can join one of our booster clubs. We have the the gold, the shamrock, and the blue are all the different clubs. Definitely check all those out. You can find that at boards at irishbreakdown.com. And before you get out, folks, hit that like button, hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast, and enjoy tonight's show on Ivy Nation Sports Talk with Vincent Sean. Definitely want to check that out. Thanks for being with us, everybody, on the Irish Breakdown Podcast.